All right, well, welcome to December. It's hard to believe it's already here. It is that time of year, and I just rhymed, and I didn't even mean to. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 8. We're going to continue in this conversation we've been having over the last several weeks about this vision that God has given us to multiply, which is three to five, the whole concept of going from a level three church to a level five church. And we've just been looking in the book of Acts, how the church, when it was first started after Jesus ascended back into heaven, how they operated. And we're just taking that as the vision of the church. And Revolution Church is a part of the church. And so we talk about the church, or a lot of people say the big C church. There is no mythical kind of big C church in the sense that like you can be a part of that without being part of a local church, because the big C church is made up of churches of all these local churches. And the cool thing is all these local churches have the vision of the church that Jesus gave us, which was to multiply this mission of making disciples. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks, just in case if you haven't been here, just talking about us as a part of the church, as the church saying, this is our vision. We want to multiply. We want to multiply this mission of making disciples. And we'll talk more about that as we continue in this process to say, okay, what is that mission of making disciples and how does that happen? What does that look like? We'll talk more about that as we flesh that out as a church. But, but, but basically at this point, we're just saying, hey, this is the vision of multiplying this mission of making disciples. And so in Acts chapter eight, we're going to continue this story, kind of looking at it. And I'm going to go back to where we left off a few weeks ago and and pick up on the same verses that we had read and kind of dig deeper into them. Then we're also going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. All right. So if you don't know where Jeremiah is, it is in the Old Testament. It's right after the book of Isaiah. All right. So that's the part of the Old Testament gets into the prophets. So you can go ahead and look at your Bible, you know, concordance or whatever. The table of contents know where we're at. So when we get there in a few minutes, you'll know. All right. So Acts chapter eight, then we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. But as always, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we want to stop and, and recognize once again that you are God and we are not. And that without your grace given to us, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and now appropriated to us through your spirit. God, if it were not for grace, if it were not for you, there is no way we could stand, there is no way that we could see, that we could hear, that we could know the truth that you love us. And so thank you. God, we always wanna recognize our need. And it's not a need that we just had to be saved, God, it's a need that we have every day of our life to walk with you. So would you fill us with your spirit now as we open your word, God, to help us to see the truth in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 4. Just go from verse 4 to verse 8. Again, kind of looking at this story again of how they were multiplying, and I just want to dig back into a couple of these verses. So Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4, says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were what? Let's try that again and say it like you were at Waffle House and ordering some hash browns, all right? Those who were what? Scattered. Scattered. I just made you all hungry. Sorry about that. Waffle House is open 24 hours, so you can hit it up later, all right? Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits... Uh, Four unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. 
Verse 8, I love this verse. So there was much joy in that city. There was much what? Joy. joy. You said that good. Good job. All right. I guess the hash browns woke you up. So a couple things here I want to point out. Really two words that I want us to kind of focus in on here for a little bit. First one is that word scattered. Second one is that word joy. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word of God. Now, again, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about this persecution that happened because these men that were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that the apostles had appointed to take over the ministry of taking care of the church so they could multiply, Acts chapter 6, Stephen was stoned, he was killed, Saul approved that, and then persecution came upon the church, and when the persecution came, they were scattered. The first part of Acts 8 tells us that they were scattered, but then verse 4, it says, those who were scattered went about preaching. Now, here's what I want us to focus in on. This word here, scattered, is literally the Greek word diaspora. Now, depending upon how redneck you are, you might say diaspora, all right? And so diaspora, this word here, diaspora, is the concept or the action, just think you've got seed in your hand and you're dispersing it. So where we get our word dispersed, all right? So when you disperse something, you are spreading it or scattering it. You're literally moving it from one place to another place, all right? That's the concept of it's going outward, now, this concept of diaspora, again, I would always say diaspora, um, goes all the way back to the Old Testament because this word, because of the, this verb of, of move to one place to another, began to refer to groups of people who were driven out of their homelands into other lands. And the concept is this group of people that scattered takes their culture with them. And so they take their culture from where they're from into the land that they're going to. Now, we live in America. Remember the melting pot? Remember all those cartoons, those crazy cartoons we used to watch? There's all these people coming in, and, and the whole concept was they're bringing culture in. It's all melding together. People today refer to it more as a salad bowl than a, than a melting pot because it's all together, but there's distinct parts. The concept is when people come from one country into another country, they bring their culture with them. This is why we like going to, and especially in Texas, Tex-Mex restaurants, right? That's the concept of diaspora. People from Mexico coming into Texas and now making Tex-Mex or Texaco, all right? Uh, that would be a great name for something. And the, and the concept is... There's this kind of melding together. Uh, another idea of this word is syncretism, where you're kind of joining things together. But, but this is the idea that when they were scattered, they were bringing their culture with them. Now, here's what is so interesting. The culture now that Philip is bringing to this city of Samaria is not his Jewish culture that he grew up with. Or he was a Hellenist, right? He was a Greek-speaking Jew. So he had a Jewish heritage, but then he had a, a Greek upbringing. So it's not even this Jewish or Greek culture. He's not bringing them pitas, right? Like, he's not bringing them zoes. He's not bringing them Mediterranean salads. I thought that would be funnier. But, but what is he... 
What is he bringing? Now he's bringing a different culture. He's bringing the culture of the kingdom. He's bringing the culture of the kingdom of God into the kingdoms of men. That's the culture he's bringing. And that's what I want us to focus on. It said when they were scattered, they went about preaching the word of God. Here's what's so important. You and I can't always help if we're scattered. You and I don't always get to choose that, right? We don't get to choose the family we were born into. We don't get to choose the state we were born into. I mean, not all of us are that lucky to be born in Texas, right? I mean, you, you can't choose that. Georgia, I would agree as well, right? You, you can't choose that. And, and a lot of times, not only can you not choose your upbringing or your accent or your family, depending upon your job, they may send you to another place. You may get scattered over here. You're, as a kid, your family moved or your mom or dad was in the military. And so you moved around a lot. We can't always help the fact that we get moved from one place to another. So we can't always get to determine the scattering. But you know we can, what we can determine? What we bring with us when we scatter. What we're bringing into the place that we're scattered. And we can also determine what the place gets brought into us. We can determine to be planted in those places, and you've seen the phrases, right? And to bloom where you're planted. But so often, so often, we don't focus so much on the fact that we are sent or we are scattered like seed to bring our culture of the kingdom of God to the cities in which God sent us. So often we don't see ourselves as missionaries like that. So often we just think of ourselves as, I don't want to live there. I, I, we just focus on the season that we're in or the city that we're in. We're like, I don't want to live there. I don't like these people. I don't like this neighborhood. I don't like this school. I don't like this job. I don't like these family reunions, right? Like, I don't like all this. Because so often we're focusing on the circumstances. We're focused on where we were scattered to or how we were scattered to. We're not focusing on why we were scattered to. Now, I don't want you to miss this either. It says that Philip went to Samaria. Samaria. Now, we've talked about this before, and if you're in church or been in church, you probably know this. The Samaritans were not well-liked. They were not well-liked by the Hebrews or the Hellenists. Because remember, Hebrews, Hellenists, both Jewish, uh, ethnically Jewish, just had different cultures, one more Greek, one more he, who, uh, Hebra Hebraic is what I was looking for. But the Samaritans, I, I learned a new word today. I just want to sound smart for a second. It's called Latin. Lat it's, it's called Latin. It's in Latin. Tertium quid. You ever heard that word before? I just learned it this morning, right? Remember, I'd say diaspora. So tertium quid, you know what that is? It's a third thing. Listen to this. I thought this was awesome. A third thing that is indefinite and undefined, but is related to two definite or known things. The Samaritans, Samaritans were tertium quids. They were connected to two other things, but they were this whole other third thing. 
And the Jewish people didn't like them because the Samaritans would trace their history back to the northern tribes of Israel, but the Jewish people saw them as half-breeds and heretics, didn't like them. And Philip is scattered to the Samaritans, to Samaria. Now, just imagine it. And it says, I love this. It says he went down to Samaria. I think that word there, went down, has a, is a double entendre, right? It's a double meaning. Yeah, he, it was literally traveled downward. But the word down can also have an abstract meaning, which means not good. He went down, like down a mountain, but also he went down in his mind. He went down to them. All of you have a them, don't you? You have a them. You know, those people. Those people. You know what the definition of those people? Very simple. Those people are those people that aren't as good as you. Those people. You got them. Those people in your mind, this is how you think. Those people in your mind that if they would just be more like you, they'd be better. You know, all them at your family and Thanksgiving that you just saw. Man, if they'd just be more like me, this family would be better. Man, if they would just vote like me, talk like me, act like me, invest like me, drive like me, dress like me, eat like me. Aren't you glad that ain't true, right? You know, those people, them. Yeah, that's who Philip went to. And what did he do when he went to him? He preached to him. He didn't see him as less than. He didn't see him as otherly. He saw them as opportunity. And not, listen, to convert them to his culture of Hellenism. But to convert them into his culture of the kingdom. Far different. Far different. I think the problem for a lot of us people today is we're trying to convert them to the wrong things. We're trying to convert them to our political parties. We're trying to convert them to the standards of our HOA. We're trying to convert them to our lifestyle. We're trying to convert them to whatever. You, you pick it. But I just want to point out here, they didn't see themselves scattered like seed. They saw themselves scattered as seed. Big difference. In fact, that's my point for today. You might want to write it down. It's here on the screen. We can choose to see ourselves scattered like seed, or we can choose to see ourselves scattered as seed. You say, Jason, what's the difference there? Help me understand it. Like and as. When you see yourself scattered like seed, what I mean by that is this. Think of seed, right? Comes in a sack. You get it. You throw it out, and it's diaspora, right? It's dispersed. And a lot of people in church see themselves like that. They were scattered, but they didn't want to be. They're like, I'd rather go back to the sack. That's what we do in church. We make it all nice, right? Burlap. Ooh, make it all fancy. When did burlap become fancy, right? I don't know. It's itchy. It's scratchy. I don't like it, but it's fancy. If only them had some more burlap, right? Then they'd be like us. But that's what we do, right? Make it all fancy, make it all nice. And church people are like, that's what I want. 
Jesus, make church all comfy, make it all nice, wrap it in some burlap, all the seeds together. This is fantastic. And then God's like, nope. Scattered. And they're like, ah, I don't want that. I want to go back where it's comfortable. That's thinking being scattered like seed. You're scattered, but you don't like it. You don't like it. And, and church, hear me. This is how the majority of the churches in the West, at least. I don't mean West of Mason Dixon. All right. I mean, in the global West, which is us, it's how we think. We would much rather be gathered than scattered. Now, don't misunderstand this. The church needs both. This is why we gather on Sundays. But the other days of the week, we are scattered. We are gathered and we are scattered. But here's the difference. You can't see yourself scattered like seed. You must see yourself scattered as seed. Because think about this phrase right here. Seed wasn't made for the sack. It was made for the soil. Think about that. Seed was not created to be huddled all together with other seeds in a sack with nice burlap wrapping on it. It's not what it was made for. It was made for the soil. Why? Because when it goes into the soil, it brings life to the soil. Soil can't do anything. If you've ever been to our newcomer or our welcome dinner or welcome lunch, this is our whole mission statement. We are the soil. Soil can't grow nothing. The power is not in the soil. The power is in the seed. This is what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 8. He told us the seed is the word of God. But where is the word of God housed? Should be housed in you. Now, of course, yes, we do have a book. But the word of God is living and active. The word of God is about God in you. Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word. He was with God and he was God. And then the word became flesh. Here's the thing, church. It's our job to make the word become flesh in the soils that he planted us in. We're the seed. We got to see ourselves like that. We got to see ourselves like seed who were sent to be scattered. That was our whole purpose. And this is how you know. When God scatters you, how do you react? <laughs> I'm just a scattered seed. I hate Canton. I hate Jasper. I don't even like the South. <laughs> serve Saturday? What's that? You want me to get out of my house and go serve the city that I don't even like? I don't know why. It's like I limp. You know, that's what I'm thinking. You know? <laughs> right? That's how you think when you think scattered like seed. But when you're scattered as seed... You're not so much focused on what soil it is. You're just focused on the opportunity that that soil has given you to bring joy into it. 
That's why I love verse eight, the second word. There was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. This word joy, God has been blowing me up with lately. It might be my word for 2019, joy. So much so as a staff, we created what we now call the Joy Award. And we have an all staff once a month where our whole staff gets together and we give out Joy Awards. And our staff nominates people and Joy, J-O-Y, didn't come up with it, Jesus, others, and you. So Joy, first and foremost, is about Jesus. I can always have joy in whatever soil I'm in. Now think about what makes up soil. I don't, what is the best fertilizer? I don't have to explain that to you. We're in church, maybe kids, all right? Doesn't matter the soil, matters the seed. And what is the seed? The word of God. Who is the word of God? Jesus. You want to know why there was much joy in that city? Because Philip brought Jesus. Philip brought the culture of the kingdom, and the culture of the kingdom is determined by the king of the kingdom, and the king of the kingdom is Jesus. And so when you're bringing the kingdom into the kingdom of God, into the kingdoms of men, it is going to be ultimately defined by this one word, joy. You want to know how we know that? You don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you Luke 2, 10. When the angel comes to the shepherds, he says, they're all frightened, right? Again, anytime angels show up, you don't get happy. You get frightened, right? The shepherds are scared. And this is what the angel says. Behold, I bring you good news of great, anybody know? Joy. It's Christmas season. You better know that one, right? Why is it good news of great joy? Next line. You can go look at it later. For unto you a child is born. Jesus. Jesus. I bring good news of great joy. Great joy. So the whole reason why God wants to see or send us as seed is because he wants the joy of Jesus to be brought to every city. And how is he going to do it? Not through angels, through you. Good news of great joy. So now the shepherds were the carrier of the seed. That's how God wants to use us. But we have to see ourselves. We have to think differently. We have to see ourselves as seed, not scattered like seed. But the reason why most of us, we don't see ourselves as seed is because a lot of times we just don't have this joy. And a lot of times the reason why we don't have this joy is because, again, we're stuck in the circumstance. So, so turn now to Jeremiah 29. If you were here last year when we first rolled out the Multiply Initiative, we talked about this verse because this was a key. I wrote this down. This is a key vision verse. This is a vision verse. Just like Acts 8, uh, Acts 8, 8. So much joy in that city. That's a vision verse. Acts 1, 8. That's a vision verse. Matthew 28. There's a lot of eights in this one. Matthew 28, right? Those are some vision verses. So look at Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, typically, most people go to verse 11. It's on every copy cup and T-shirt and Christian bookstore known to mankind, right? But you got to back up to understand context. So look at Jeremiah 29, 
starting in verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now listen to this. To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, multiply there and do not decrease. Verse seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, contextually, historically, verse 10, I'll show you in just a second, gives us a little bit more information. But Israel, at this point in time in their journey, was being punished. God was judging them. And how he judged them was he sent them into exile, into Babylon. He allowed Babylon to conquer them. And now they are being sent to Babylon. And there were some prophets within their people that didn't like that. The people, of course, the people didn't like it. But even in the judgment, God gives them these commands, build houses, live in them. But there were prophets that were saying, oh, we're only going to be here for like two years. We're going to go back to Israel. We're not going to be here for like two years. And God says, nope. Verse 10, he says, you're going to be here for 70. 70. And what does God command them to do while, while they're there? Build houses. Plant gardens. Marry. Multiply. Don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city which I sent you. Why would God give them that command even in his judgment of them? Because even in his judgment of them, God had a purpose for them. And that purpose was to take the culture of the kingdom of God into Babylon. The problem with the Old Testament Israel is they always let the culture of Babylon into them instead of taking the culture of the kingdom into Babylon. And so God sends them into there and he says, I'm sending you. This is no mistake. This is no accident. I'm sending you. And while you're there, Don't just walk around mourning and moping, saying, I can't wait to get back to Jerusalem. What's God saying? Don't see yourself scattered like seed. See yourself scattered as seed. And what are you to do while you're there? Seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. Now, Again, historically understand this. Babylon just conquered them. Just beat them up. And now God is saying, seek their welfare. This is like God saying to Georgia fans, seek the welfare of Alabama. Too soon? Too too soon? Too soon? Sorry about that. I'm just recognizing idols, my friends. Just recognizing idols. All right. All right. Hey, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. I'm with you. 
My joy's in Jesus, right? <laughs> nope, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but, but, you, but you see what I'm saying? We don't have hatred as much with countries as we do with, with teams. But that's what he's telling them. Seek the welfare of the ones who just conquered you. For in their welfare, you'll find yours. Help the person that just beat you up. That's what he's saying. Now, let me ask you a question. Who does that sound a lot like? Let me say it like this. How in the world could Jesus hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing me, but they don't know. Forgive them. Jesus sought the welfare of those who sought to kill him. And that's what God is saying to his people. Seek the welfare of those who just sought to kill you. And can you imagine this? Seek the welfare of the city I've sent you to. Why? I would just imagine God would say, because I sent you. Well, God, you didn't ask me if I wanted to be sent. And God would say, well, I didn't have to ask. Uh, in case you forgot, there is a God and it ain't you. I didn't ask if you wanted to be sent to Canton. I didn't ask if you wanted to be sent to Georgia. I didn't ask if you wanted to be sent to Africa. Because if I asked you, you would have said no. So I just do what most parents do. I put you there and say, deal with it. Right? Why? Because God has the authority to do that. And again, if we see ourselves scattered like seed, we will just mourn for a history that wasn't that good anyway. And miss the opportunity of what God can do wherever we're at. The problem with most of us today is we cannot selectively forget the past. In order for God to do something great in our future. God's saying to his people, just because you're here in Babylon, I ain't done with you. Just because I'm judging you right now. Just because I'm sending you into exile right now. I ain't done with you. I'm not done. In fact, I would say in God's kingdom economy, he would say, I let them conquer you because I wanted you to be sent there. Just like in Acts 8, I let them persecute you because if they didn't persecute you, you would have held up in Jerusalem. And I didn't give you a vision just for Jerusalem. I gave you a vision for Jerusalem, Judea. Anybody know the next one? Samaria. Samaria. Where did Philip go? It's almost like there's a God. I get excited about this stuff. And when I get excited, I get high pitched. All right. You just got to go with me. And to the ends of the earth. Listen, my friends, and this has been such a hard lesson for me to learn. If God didn't bring suffering, we'd be too tempted to stay in our comfort. If he didn't bring something that forced us out, we'd be too tempted to stay in. And so when that happens and it will happen. You have to reframe this suffering and we have to learn how to pray differently. How do we learn how to pray differently? Look, look to verse 10. God says it. 
For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear, I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What is he saying? He said it back there in verse seven. He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf, not just on your behalf. And pray when you seek me, pray that you might seek me. Not just what I can do for you, i.e. get you back to where you want to go. Now think about this. These two categories of prayer, praying for the welfare of others and praying to seek God more, to know God more. Let's just be straight here. All right, let's be honest. It's church. Is that normally how we pray? Do we pray the most about wanting more of God and wanting more for others? No. If we're honest, we pray the most about wanting for us. And here's the convicting part. What we want most is not God. What we want most is what God can do for us. That's normally what we want most. Let me ask you a very devastating question. Would you want heaven if you got streets of gold? No more pain, no more sorrow. Everybody you loved was there, but Jesus wasn't. Would you want heaven then? It's rhetorical. You don't have to answer, but I want you to think. It's a devastating question. Would you want heaven? If you got streets of gold, a resurrected body, all your loved ones, your favorite cat, which you're just weird anyway, right? Your dogs, all your loved ones. No, listen, are any of those things bad? Favorite cat, maybe, but, but the other stuff, no. And, and this is where you're thinking, I thought that's what heaven was. I thought heaven was all those things. No, 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 no my friends, understand me. All those things are simply where God is. But all those things are not heaven. God is heaven. And, and this is where you need to understand me. And I've said this before and it messes with people's minds. And some people have even gotten upset about it. Heaven is not so much a place as it is a person. Now let that roll around in that noodle up there. Heaven is not so much about a place. Is it a place? Yes. I'm not saying it's not. But it's only a place because who is at the center of it? And the Bible gives us such a vision of who is at the center that the Bible says we won't even need the sun anymore because we've got Jesus. And Jesus is brighter than anything he made. So heaven is way more about who than what. 
Now, if Jesus is the essence of heaven, we get to walk with God, see God, be with God face to face forever. That's heaven. Then if that is heaven, that in Christ, he brought that to earth. And you and I now can have, not in its fullness, but we can have it in seed form. So what are we taking to the cities? Jesus. Heaven. This is why Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom is way more about the king. But we as Christians, we don't even talk like that. We are not a people most often that are so in love with our king. We are a people that is so in love with his kingdom. All the things of his kingdom, all the riches of his kingdom. And this is why we need promises from God that he's going to replace for us anything we sacrifice for him now in his kingdom. Listen, the Bible, Jesus, how Jesus talked. Jesus talked like this. He said, the kingdom of God is like a guy who found a treasure in the field. And in his joy, he sold everything. So you could have that in his what joy in his joy. And what was his joy? His joy was about the king of the kingdom. You want to know why God sent Israel into exile to remind them that the greatest thing about Israel wasn't their borders. It was their God. And what is Israel still fighting over to this day? Their borders. And make no mistake about it, they are a secular country. Still fighting over their borders. And God is still saying, I'm your God. You missed the gift. The gift was the giver. Don't miss that, my friends. The gift is the giver. You know this. Christmas is coming in 23 days. And you're going to give gifts to your kids. But doesn't it bother you when your kids love the gift more than the giver? You know this. But that's how we treat God. The reason why we don't take joys to the city. The reason why we don't see ourselves as seed is because we don't have that much joy ourselves. And the reason simply that we don't have that much joy ourselves is because we're just simply not enjoying him enough. Good news of great joy. And as we get into this Christmas season, the great joy is that a child was born. Doesn't a family get all joyful about a child that's born? And again, that's just a taste because then that child starts dirtying in diapers and you're like, eh. that child starts crying. And you're going crazy. That, 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 that one little taste there is a taste of the joy you can have in Jesus. 
the Bible would say it's a shadow of the real thing. So what is God saying to us? The same thing he was saying to Israel. Listen, you're going to be in this land for a while. You're going to be here for a while. The average lifespan today is a little bit over 70. Wouldn't you figure? You're going to be here in Babylon for about 70 years. You're going to be here on the earth for about 70 years. And during this 70 years, you can complain about a homeland. You can complain about it. Or you can seek the welfare that he sent you into. And you can pray for God to bless the city that you sent you into. And you can live for a purpose that's greater than yourself. And when you give yourself away, you'll actually find yourself. Jesus said something like that. What if that's how we saw our marriages, that my welfare is actually existing in the welfare of my wife? And until I seek her welfare, I won't find mine. Until I seek the welfare of others, I won't find mine. Why? Because those who know Jesus, the J, go straight to the O, which is others. Why? Because those who have Jesus don't have to make it all about themselves. They can make it all about others. Why? Because they haven't gotten over the fact that Jesus made it about them. That Jesus saved them. That Jesus loved them. That Jesus came for them. That Jesus gave himself to them. And they just can't stand it. They've got so much joy. So much peace. So much connection with him. That they're like, I've got to tell others in the city to which God has sent me as a seed. Because my joy is not fulfilled until their joy is fulfilled in Jesus. And when their joy is fulfilled in Jesus, I get more joy in Jesus. And so as I'm giving out joy, they're getting joy. I'm getting more joy. You see it? That's multiplication. That's multiplication. Look at the last verse and we're done. I could just preach it all day. Verse 14. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You want to know why we love Jeremiah 29, 11 so much? Because we don't like where we are. We love Jeremiah 29, 11 so much because like, I don't, I don't like this exile. I know the plans I have for you, plans for future and hope. Yes, God, get me out of this. Contextually, that's not the point. The whole point of Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't because God was going to shorten the 70. That's what their prophets were saying. God's going to shorten the 70. God's like, I ain't. It's 70. You know what that means? There were Israelites that were going to die before they got back. It's 70. But God, I'm 60. Sorry. But I know the plans I have for you. What are those plans? Again, this had a, a particular historical redemption, but it's what you see in the Old Testament is pattern, and its pattern is prophecy. Signs pointing forward. And so, yes, it has a historical application, but it does have a future application. And the future application today is to us as the church saying, 
Right now, we're in exile. But we know the plans that God has for us to give us a hope and a future. And what is that when he brings us back? But he's not bringing us back to the old Jerusalem. He's bringing us back to the new one, to the new heavenly city. It's coming down where God dwells. That's our hope. So what's the root of joy? Hope. Hope is the root of joy. And what is the hope? Jesus is coming back. And I love how Jeremiah says it, or better yet, God says it through Jeremiah. He says, I will bring you back from all the nations. Again, this is the grand story of the Bible. You know what God was prophesying? It's not only about the nation of Israel. Never was only about them. See, the storyline of the Bible is this. It goes from a family to a nation of families. So you got Abraham, his family. I'm going to turn you to a great nation. But then in Christ, it goes further, not into a nation made up of families, but listen to this, a family made up of nations. A family made up of nations. So we cannot love, and hear me, America, we cannot love any nation more than we love the family. We cannot love any nation more than we love the family. And what is the family? The body of Christ. The church. Brothers and sisters. That's God's vision. It always has been. It always will be. That's why when you read the book of Revelation, John says, I looked around and I saw people from every tribe, every tongue, and every what? Every nation. If you don't love the nations, you don't love Jesus. And if you're not willing to be sent as seed to the nations, then you haven't understood what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to give you this nice, comfortable house in your HOA. He came to give you joy in him so that you would be willing to sacrifice everything and make him look amazing so that people would say, why in the world would you leave that and go there? Why would you leave Canton and go to Kenya? Why would you do that? Because Jesus, and I want them to have the joy that I have in Jesus. Because when they get the joy that I have in Jesus, I get greater joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this vision. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving people like us. We don't deserve it. But thank you for coming from heaven to earth, from there to here to get us back into relationship with you. God, you didn't send Jesus to get us to a place. You sent Jesus to get us back to a person. And that person is you. So heaven is you. You are heaven. Now the streets of gold and the no pain and the no fear and new bodies, yes, God, those are nice, but those are fruits, not roots. Our substance, the faith, 
of our substance is not that stuff. It's you. And so, God, we repent from wanting more from you than actually wanting you. Teach us to pray like this. Teach us to pray where we want you, where we, where we go down deep in you. And God, we know that you do that through suffering circumstances. This is why we can claim the promise of Romans 28, that even in all these things, you're working it all for good. Because the sheer fact of the matter is, if the suffering didn't come, it wouldn't force us to our knees. So God, I thank you for that. I pray for anybody here listening that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have this kind of joy, that doesn't have this kind of relationship, who have only thought about you as a means to an end. If we just see you as the cosmic Santa that are here to bring us gifts, but don't see you as the gift, don't see the child in a manger as the gift, then we're not saved. So I pray right now for anybody who needs to get Jesus, you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking. I want you to understand today, I'm offering you the greatest gift. I'm not scared to offer it. I'm not scared to ask you to accept it because Jesus is worth it. So if you want to know him, if you want to have him, if you want joy, you need Jesus. And it very simply comes by confessing and repenting in your heart with your mouth. And so right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray, not out loud. If you want to trust Jesus for the first time, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, not because I want a place or not because I want out of another place, but because I want you. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me. I confess my sins. In Jesus' name. Now again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed for the first time to trust Jesus, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Joy has come to this house today. Thank you. Now the rest of us, if like me, this message convicted you, don't leave here today. Just feeling convicted and bad. But leave here today feeling loved that God loved you enough to make you aware and simply repent and confess and say, God, I confess I've wanted more from you than I've wanted you. I've wanted more for myself than I've wanted for others. And this Christmas, help me to enjoy Jesus and help me to give that joy to the circumstances in the cities that you sent me. Father, thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.